trying to rethink through what is what 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 role does prayer play in the life of the church? Let's kind of shake things up a little bit because when you think about it, why do churches meet like we meet for a certain amount of time? We sing, we have sermons about this long, we do this, we do that. Some of those things are just kind of cultural uh, decisions we made out of biblical principles. So let's try. Let, so I, it's always good for us to kind of shake ourselves up a little bit and try to think. Hey, what what is the church supposed to be? And what is what are we supposed to be? Not just you, the participants, and Dan and I and the band as the performers, but who are we as the as uh, followers of Jesus? And as Jesus said, every one of us is sent out. We're all called to pastor and shepherd one another. We're all called to minister to a world around us. All right. So um, fresh, disruptive, and practical. Let me say one word about the word disruptive. Um, if you're like me. You like your patterns of living, you like your habits, you like your coffee, how you like your coffee, you like certain rhythms. But I believe that when we give God some space and let God disrupt our pattern, often he has a chance to say, to say and do things in our lives he wouldn't otherwise. For example, I'm going to just mention this morning, when we were singing that one song about uh, raise a joyous noise, and, and a few of you kind of did kind of, Initially, some timid whoopies. You know, right? And, those, and those, you, those who did that, you did that everything probably. Everywhere you go, you're probably the loud people, right? You're the extroverted loud people. You know. But the rest of us, myself included, were a little more timid. And again, it's not a measure of spirituality. We don't always need to yell when it says yell. But I'm just, the rest of us, you know, I grew up in a very stoic, emotionally restrained, physically non-expressive family. Except, of course, when it came to athletic events and there was no problem, Right? So it was interesting because uh, when we sang that and then a couple of people gave some of the little whoopies, I really felt like, you know, let's, let's, let's push through that because what is it holding us back in that situation? And I'll speak for myself. It is pride. It's I don't know if I want to look, I don't want to look odd to people, and I fear what people might think of me if I'm a little bit too expressive. But none of you have that fear at IU basketball games, I guarantee you that. Nobody, nobody thinks, oh, I'm going to cheer because they just made the big shot against Kentucky, but I don't want people to think I'm too expressive, so I'll just go, woo. No, nobody does that. Nobody does that. But when we did that, when I asked everybody to sing that again and raise a joyous noise and it got loud, something in my spirit clicked, and I felt like I think something opened up to heaven when we did that. And I'm, I'm not being overly dramatic. I just thought when we push through pride, when we push through fear of reputation, I think God begins to find an open hole. So I'm not saying live your life this week and go scream and yell, but live your life this week, and if there's something that's holding you back that usually is a fear of how other people are going to perceive you, and if boldness is the issue, push toward boldness. Because you do that and you see that God opens things up. I really felt like something, even in the nature of our worship, changed when we did that yell. And again, I'm, again, I'm not saying we should yell every time, but you don't yell. Yelling doesn't solve every problem. Um... But the problem there is not was not the the joyous noise. The problem was what's holding us back, and whether it's at least I'll speak for myself: timidity, fear of how I look, which is really a source of which is really undergirded by pride. So just think about this week: what God might ask you to do that pushes past your fear of how others will perceive you for the sake of boldness, because. God loves being disruptive in our lives. He loves it. He loves it. He loves it. We don't like it when he does it, but we love it, the after effects, all right? 
Um, so we, if you're new this month, like I said, we've done, we do a little bit, the, the sermon time is quite a bit more interactive, quite a bit more experiential in that sense. Let me start with one uh, verse here, and then we're going to actually watch a, a short video clip, an interview. For the last uh, number of Sundays in the month of June, we show a short video clip from a different pastor in a church in Bloomington. And just ask them, how can we pray for you as a pastor? How can we pray for your church? If you've been around Exodus at all, for any kind of time, you know that one of the things we value is we value, the way we write it is we value practicing supportive speech and actions toward all of their Christ-centered churches in Bloomington. They are not our competition. We are not in competition against other churches in Bloomington that exalt Jesus. And here's where that comes from, and here's why we're even showing these videos. We've, like I said, we've, we've sent money to pastor's wives. We've sent gift cards. Some of you have been a part of that, and we've done things for other churches. But one of the things that Jesus prayed for, and this is the night when he was betrayed, and he was praying. It was just kind of his uh, prayer in the garden. So what he was praying really was what was probably deepest on his heart. He's saying this to God. I pray that they will be one. He's talking about his disciples and all who follow, which would include us. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so the world will believe you sent me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. Isn't it interesting that the unity of the body of Christ is, an, is a powerful, persuasive statement to those who don't know Jesus, that Jesus must be real because if he's unified people that don't always get along, there must be something supernaturally real. And that you love them as much as you love me. God's love for people is often dependent upon whether or not Christians, followers of Jesus, experience unity. And, and practically speaking, let's think about the other churches you might know in Bloomington. We have differences. You may not go to, want to go to other churches for different reasons. But if Christ is exalted, our, our whole posture, our whole, the way we think about it is we will, we will be supportive of those churches because they are not our competition we need to learn to love them, and we will love them, and we, our goal is a united Bloomington. Not like one big church, but we believe that every church in Bloomington that exalts Christ is here because Jesus wants it here. We're not going to critique them. We're not going to talk negative about them. We're not going to try to figure out why we're better than them. Because I believe that the, one of the keys to evangelism in, the, in a town like Bloomington, as any town, is how we are actively supporting other churches. Not just passively, well, of course we love Sherwood Oaks and ECC. Of course we do. We need to be doing things to push that direction, all right? So today I think the video is Glenn Hughes uh, from Clear Creek Christian Church. So we're going to watch this video, and then we're going to st uh, stop and pray uh, for their church. So I think it's... Uh I'm one of the pastors, one of the ministers here at the Clear Creek Christian Church uh, in Bloomington. I've been here a long time. I've been here uh, 26 years, uh, but not long enough. I love working with the people here at Clear Creek, and I love working with the staff and the relationships that we've formed and that God's blessed us with over the years. I'm married. Uh, my wife's name is Kim, and I have two sons, uh, Grady and Eli. Uh, Grady graduated this year from uh, high school and Eli is going to be a junior at South High School this year.
there are lots of ways Exodus could pray for me. I think most immediately uh, has to do with my son leaving to go to college. Uh, that's going to be a new uh, development in the Hughes house this summer uh, and into the fall. And having him leave and go to school uh, is going is to be exciting and it's going to be, it, it is something that we've looked forward to. But I suspect knowing my wife and knowing myself, it's going to be challenging. Uh, for us to, to go through that. But we're looking forward to it, and it's part of it, and we're excited about that. I've seen the, the downside of parents that don't release well, uh, and I don't want to be one of those parents. So I pray that, uh, uh, and I ask that you pray, that that goes smoothly for the Hughes uh, household this fall. A specific way that Exodus could pray for Clear Creek this summer and into this fall has to do with our building our building expansion. Uh, we are having to leave our uh, worship center for the next probably eight to nine months as we do a major addition uh, on our Christian Life Center, a major a major addition to that building. Um, which means we're going to be worshiping and operating out of our old building for the better part of the next eight or nine months. Uh, a building that we haven't used in a long time uh, for worship in this capacity. Uh, it's going to significantly impact our Christian school, our children's ministry, and things of that nature. And it's going to require a lot of patience and flexibility on the part of Clear Creekers. Uh, but they've done it before, and I'm sure that uh, everybody's excited about doing it again. Um, but sometimes that can be tense uh, and it can be uh, challenging. And so if you would pray just for the uh, flexibility of the congregation over the next several months, uh, flexibility of the staff, uh, and just that God would uh, use this time uh, to not just teach Clear Creek new things, um, but to stretch us in ways and that we could see some of the challenges of the next eight or nine months. Uh, as opportunities for ministry that are unique to this type of season. And, and we're trying to itemize those now and project them, but I pray that we would be aware of them as they present themselves. So if you would pray uh, for that, I would appreciate that. Here's what we're going to do. I want, uh, I'm going to have you stand, and I'm just going to have you, uh, we're going to face toward the center, and I'll tell you why in a second. I want this side just out loud enough so you can hear it yourself i want to decide to pray for glenn's family and the transition and the words that came to mind when we were listening was peace and joy that they would have peace and joy in this time of transition for their family all right that's this side this side i want you to pray for clear creek christian church and the word again is going to be peace pray for peace in this time of building transition so you may not know people there or whatever, but you can pray that God would give them peace. He said one of the things they're concerned about is the tenseness that comes from being tightly packed in a building and things like that, all right? So, and then as we do that, here's what I'm going to do. What did I do with my... There it is. Here it is. I had this made years ago. It's a map of Bloomington, all right? Um, and I want everybody to face the center. So in essence, we're going to pray... Oh, stand up, stand up, stand up. We're going to pray over the map. Because we're going to be, in my mind's eye, we're all standing somehow in a Google Earth perspective around the city of Bloomington. So uh, um, I want you to pray. Uh, again, I'll, I'll tell you in a second. Just go ahead and pray. This side over here, pray for Pastor Glenn and his family transition. Uh, this side over here, pray for the church's transition. Again, the operative word for both, I think, is peace. 
But just pray out loud, out loud so just you can hear it, so it'll sound like a low rumble. But we're really praying over the body of Christ in Bloomington and then I'll close that time together, all right? So go ahead and pray. Uh, just pray out loud, like whisper or whatever, and then uh, I'll bring that time to a close. So go ahead and pray for Glenn Hughes and Clear Creek. If you would uh, just continue to face this way, and now I just want uh, some of you just out loud, just the name a church in Bloomington. You don't need to say anything else. Just yell out the name of the church, and that's going to be our understanding. We're asking God to bring blessing to that church as well. So go ahead. Just if, you, if, if, it, in, if, if it's out of order, that's okay. Just go ahead and yell out the name of a church in Bloomington as a way of asking God to bring that church peace and goodness as well. Go ahead. extend your uh, right hand or even both hands toward the map and God we're asking you uh, that you see what Bloomington needs you see what your body in Bloomington needs you see what your church in Bloomington needs whether it's ECC or Sherwood Oaks or the Vineyard or Red Door or St. Paul's Catholic or St. Paul's Methodist any of the churches that exalt Jesus so, God, we want you to open up the heavens, like we said in the opening part of the service, that you would burst forth and that you would do something new in Bloomington. And we don't ask it to be just through our church. If it needs to start at another church, if you need to do work somewhere else, and that's how you want to start in Bloomington, we will bless whatever we see you doing. So would you bring blessing to the pastors of all the churches in Bloomington that exalt Jesus? Would you bring blessing to those churches and as, as we prayed even for Glenn and his church and his family, would you bring peace to churches? We know that Satan's one of his strategies is division and unrest and uh, tension. So where there's those things existing in our churches in Bloomington and your church, Jesus, in Bloomington, would you bring peace? And would you uh, rend the heavens? Would you tear them open? And would you shower the blessings of Jesus and the Holy Spirit on the Bloomington? And we ask this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and ask. Uh, have a seat, please. There's, there's nothing like, uh, there's nothing special about praying over a, a mounted map in that sense, but there's times where I think those kind of pictures, and it seems like God uses those pictures a lot to remind us why we exist as a church. We don't exist for us. We exist because we want to see what God wants to do in Bloomington. So, hey, uh, just for the, we're going to look at um, Acts chapter 16. Um, this morning, just briefly, that will also lead us into a time of prayer. But this is another. This is one of those situations, one of those passages, one of those stories where there's something happens that defies rational understanding. And one of the things I said last week is that Christianity is not primarily a teaching religion. Christianity is not primarily a social activist uh, organization. Christianity is not primarily a political nor a moral organization. Christianity as a religion is primarily a supernatural religion. We're not just a teaching place or a serve the poor place. 
or a do good deeds or be good people, raise good family place. We, are, we believe that the Christianity that's talked about in the Bible is a supernatural religion, and those things should and would happen, but for, first and foremost, a supernatural religion. So what we're going to read about here is something that happens supernatural. It's one of those things you have to stop and kind of think, did that really happen the way the writer says it happened? And we believe it did, but it tests, it tests our faith as to whether or not these things can still happen. Because let's be honest, if the things that happen in the Bible happen today, I think we, it would shock us, but we also maybe have stopped believing. Maybe we think, oh, these things that happened in the Bible were things that God had to use to help the church get started, but the rest of us have to kind of just deal with real life as if this were, these were all a book of exceptions. This, I believe, is a book of the normative ways in which God deals with his people, and God wants to work through his people. They're not exceptional cases, all right? And I'm saying that, so let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 16. And I put on here, there's what happens, let's the overall story. Paul frees a demonized girl, Paul and Silas, who is his partner. They're traveling together as missionaries, and they're in a city called Philippi, which is in modern-day uh, Greece. They're severely beaten, and they're in prison. So next slide. Um, here's the Google Earth. Uh, do I not have a map? Yeah, here it is. Google Earth. There's Philippi. That's where this story takes place. It's modern-day Greece. So if you would imagine uh, for a moment what God might have been thinking, seeing, and doing as this story unfolds. So here we go. Re go to the next slide here. One day as we were going down, the we here, Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke is one describing this story. He was part of the we with Paul and Silas. So one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, Philippi did not have a synagogue, wasn't developed in that, in that religion, so there was a place they would all gather down by a river or wherever they were to pray together, right? We were met by a demon-possessed slave girl. She was a fortune teller who earned a lot of money for her masters. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Go to the next one. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated. Now, just for a second, you might think, well, why is, it, why is a demon shouting out the truth? Right? It was interesting. Read the Gospels. Jesus was often telling demons to not to say things that were true because Jesus didn't want the demons being the ones who represented the truth because it would actually cause a, deceptive, a, a, a spirit of deception. So Satan's kind of being really strategic here. I'll use these de demonized people to shout the truth and make people even doubt Jesus because this person is known to be demonized. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And instantly it left her. All right, we still believe these kind of things happen. They go to the next one. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities of the marketplace. There she is again in the city of Philippi. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Now just sit on that sentence for a second. The wooden rods, it would have been, it was a, it was a rod that was carried by a, certain, a Roman official in every town. And it was uh, basically a tightly wound rod of bamboo cords. And so it was a pretty, pretty uh, stinging kind of rod. They were beaten with rods, not slapped on the hand, not talked negatively about, not letters to the editor of the paper were derogatory toward Paul and Silas. They were beaten with rods. 
they were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. So put yourself in Paul and Silas's situation, bruised, beaten, bloodied, uh, in a dark, probably a dark uh, prison, inner dungeon, is what that says. The jailer was ordered to make sure they don't escape, so the jailer put them at the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. So not a good situation right now for Paul and Silas, uh, physically, we would think, emotionally and spiritually, but we're going to see otherwise. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I'd love to be that kind of person. I have a hard time singing and praying, singing hymns to God if I've been, if somebody said even something negative about me. I have a hard time. I get in a funk. But these men were beaten with rods and they're in prison. They have no idea what's happening the next day. And they are praying and singing hymns to God. It's like, I'd, I'd love to have that kind of spirit. And I think most of you would too. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake. The word suddenly is the same word that appears in Acts chapter 2 when it says, suddenly, like the sound of a rushing wind, the Holy Spirit descended upon the people. And that was in Acts 2, but it's the same kind of like, boom. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Go to the next slide. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, which in that case for him would be immediate death sentence that they were under his care. So he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted at him, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Saul and Silas. Probably a good chance he heard them singing too, so he's probably completely kind of confused with this what's been happening then he brought them out and he asked sirs what must i do to be saved and they replied believe in the lord jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household and they shared the word of the lord with them and they and with all who had lived in his household even at that hour of the night which again was midnight the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized he brought them into his house and set a meal before them and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now, it's easy when we hit this end of the story. It's easy to stop with the last sentence. They all believed in God. Kind of they all happily lived, at, or lived happily ever after kind of thing. But we have to keep back. We have to back up and remember what had to happen for that to get there. So let's go to this next slide here. This is one of my chalkboard, uh, chalkboard drawings here. Okay, here's what's happening. Let's kind of analyze what happened here and what that means for us. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They're in jail. Suddenly an earthquake happened. Did their singing make it happen? Was there something that was initiated by their singing through the eyes and mind and power of God that may not have happened had they not sang? I, I don't know. I'm just posing the question. Because it seems as if the way Luke recorded the event, again, Luke was a medical doctor, so he researched these things carefully. The way that Luke recorded this event pretty, seems pretty clear that he's wanting us to understand that the praying and the singing 
hymns to God after they had been beaten with rods and had been persecuted had a huge part in creating this breakthrough moment in which God then created the earthquake. And again, you would think God's intention was, oh, it was to set them all free. No, the, the, the whole point was so that the jailer and his family would come to know Jesus. It wasn't necessarily solely the freedom of Paul and his, and his friend Silas. So did their singing do something? Does our singing do something? When we sing... Is it just guitar strings, even that they break? Is it just sounds of guitar and drum and voices? Is it just sound waves hitting off these tile ceilings and bouncing back, and we have kind of these emotional feel-good moments because we like singing together? Or is something else going on? When we sing, does something happen in the invisible world that may not happen if we don't sing? And again, I'm not saying that singing will solve every problem. I mean, if you, if, you're not, if you don't study for a test and you sing the night before the final, you may not get an A. All right? If you're irresponsible with your money and you sing over your checkbook, it may not show up with all kinds of more money in it. But it does seem like there's times in the Scripture where song and deliverance go together. Uh, in the book of Chronicles... There's a, a first Chronicles, second Chronicles 20. We're not going to go there, but there's a point where an army was going to, were overwhelmed. There's an army coming up against the people of Judah, and they were overwhelmingly outnumbered. And if you may or may not know the story, but what happened was after consulting God and listening and praying, what the decision was, was the choir went out in front of the army into battle and started singing, you know, the Lord is good, his love endures forever, or whatever tune they sang. I don't know, those were the words they sang. They're in front. So if you're in the choir, you're probably thinking, wait, we're going first? You want us to go first, and they have weapons, and we don't? Yeah, you're going to sing. And it says, and then Second Chronicles 20, it says, As soon as they started singing, God sent confusion on the enemy, and the enemy, which was a coalition of different countries, started fighting one another and killed each other off. Did that singing do that? If they wouldn't have done it that way, could they have gotten beaten in battle? Does the singing do something in the invisible world that opens up some stream of power from God? Not in some kind of a coin in a candy machine kind of way, automatic, but in a way that's being responsive to God and acknowledging the larger goodness of God in our lives, even though there's major deliverance that needs to happen. In Psalms, David, one of the psalmists says, uh, you surround me with songs of deliverance. In Isaiah, the prophet says to, the, to a woman who couldn't bear children, sing, O barren woman, sing. And the whole sense is you sing when there's barrenness in your life and you will see fruit and you will birth something. So does this song have something to do with birthing something new of God or in that case even a physical birth? I mean, you have to do more than sing to have babies, just so you know that. But sing, bringing birth. Okay, in Ephesians, Paul talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Is, is the Holy Spirit being in our lives somehow connected to singing? He also says in Colossians, let the word of God dwell richly in you. Let it dwell in you as you sing. Is there something about singing 
that initiates something in the invisible world. And I'll, I'll make this assertion, which I think can be supported by the Bible pretty strong. The moment we begin to sing to God, activity in the invisible world increases. Something increases when we sing. And again, it's not a hocus-pocus thing. It's not a magical thing. But there's something about singing. And in Paul and Silas's case, they were in a dire situation. They were in need of deliverance. They were in need of something happening that they knew they could not do on their own. And I'm sure that wasn't like Paul and Silas sitting there singing, thinking, hey, I wonder if we sing if God will set us free. I, that, that wasn't their conversation, I'm sure. There, there was mainly... We're going to praise God because we believe that God is good. And even though what's happened to us, we still believe he's in control. And we still have confidence in, in, the, in the power of the risen Jesus. They weren't trying to figure out what do we need to do to make God work on our behalf. They were just going to do what they knew they wanted to do, which was praise God. And they left the rest up to God. But there does seem to be something associated with singing. One of the things, uh, a number of years ago, I was driving to a meeting with somebody. Not somebody here at this church, somebody in another place. And it had the potential of being tense. It had the potential of being a tense about, well, I won't go into the, the reason why it was going to be tense, but I, I was anxious going into the meetings. I thought it could be a tense meeting, or it was another pastor, it could be kind of, and I really felt like God wanted me to start singing in my car over the meeting. Now you might say, well, and the meeting went really well. Now you might say, well, the meeting might have gone really well anyway if you hadn't have sung. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. And I wasn't singing as some kind of a, uh, like I said, coin in a candy machine kind of thing. But I felt like it's what God wanted me to do because I knew that there was a need for deliverance. There was a need for something to be different than what I knew it could be. So here's my question to some of you today, all of you today. Some of you may have different responses to this. Is there some area of your life in which you are in what you would say a desperate need of deliverance? Somewhere where you feel like you're stuck? And maybe you're stuck like Paul and Silas were stuck, not because of any sins of your own, but because of your righteousness and your goodness, and you're in a place that you just feel like God's not doing something for you. Or maybe you're like the army in the book of Chronicles where... Uh, you just feel like there's some overwhelming odds against you. Again, not because anything you've necessarily done wrong, it's just the reality of your life. Or maybe you feel like something in your marriage is stuck or in some other part of your life or part of your own heart is stuck or imprisoned and you're not quite sure how you're going to get out. Now, if it's a sin issue, repentance is the way to get out. You, you can't, God's not going to go around an issue where you have control over but I'm talking about the issues in your life where you seemingly don't have any control over how that freedom's going to happen. So I want you to close your eyes, and here's what we're going to do. I want you to uh, I want you to think for a minute if if you would say, "Yeah, there is an issue. Yes, there is an issue like that in my life, in which um, I feel stuck." I feel imprisoned. I feel like I can't get out. And again, we're not, we're not saying it's because of your own doing. It may just be because of what, this is what life has brought your way. And you need deliverance. You need God to surround you, like the psalmist says, with songs of deliverance. Maybe even just for the sake of your own heart, holding on to hope. 
And if that's you, I'm going to ask you right now if you would get up and come to the middle aisle and stand up here. All right? Nothing magical about it except I want you to do that because I want to just come stand in the middle aisle here. And while they're standing in the middle aisle, if everybody else would just stand up, go ahead and stand up, everybody. But if you want to come to the middle aisle, if, you're, if you would say you can relate to... So those of you, if there's an, a need for some kind of activity of God beyond what you know you can manufacture, and it's outside of your own, uh, it's not a sin issue that you know is just something you didn't make a choice about, but it's this. Here's what I want the rest of you to face them, and we're going to sing, and we're going to sing a couple songs, a cappella, I'll lead you. We're going to surround them with songs of deliverance. And, and, and we don't know what happens. I feel like this is what God wants to do. We're going to sing praises to God on behalf of these, our brothers and sisters. You guys can sing along too if you want to. Um, but just if you know these songs, they're simple songs I, I'm going to sing. But if you don't know them, the words are going to be on the screen. But if you know them, uh, just sing along. So go ahead and uh, Tim, go to the first song here. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. All right, sing over them. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy, Christ the Lord. All right, next slide. All hail the power, next one, of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem. And crown him, Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Lord of all. God, we have no idea how it works. But we know from Scripture, we know from the stories of the men and women that followed you in the Bible, we know that something about our song opens up something in the invisible world. And that you're honored and you're pleased when we offer you these uh, songs to you. And God, you're honored and you're pleased when these, your sons and daughters, have come and acknowledged before us and before others, they need you. We all need you, but they're expressing a unique, specific need for deliverance, for freedom, to see that you're good in their lives. And God, as what happened in the book of Acts, the result of all this was joy and multiple conversions of men and women and boys and girls coming to know you. So God, if that's what you have for these people and all of us here, that's what we want. We want the end product to be the joy that comes to you from you. We want the end product to be men and women and girls and boys coming to know Jesus because of the circumstances we find ourselves in that only can be delivered through the power of Jesus. And we offer you this song, God. We offer you these songs of praises asking you to intervene 
and asking you to do what only you can do and bring goodness and deliverance into the lives of these people and through them, deliverance for others. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not saying go on a sing fest this week or this rest of your life. I am saying this. I mean, yesterday I was, and we're going to take communion here. It's like yesterday I was feeling, I, I, I don't know if I was sick or tired or sick and tired. I don't know what I was. But there was a point where I was in my home by myself, and I just I felt anything but positive. And I just started singing to myself because I thought, okay, if this is what I'm going to tell people to do, I need to be able to do it myself because I, I felt anything but wanting to sing. And something changed in my spirit over the next hour. Now, would it have changed anyway? I don't know. Why not try and see if that, if God, if that, what God puts on your mind, why not try in some situation to sing over the problem and see if God opens up something in you or through you uh, for the sake of others, all right? We finish every Sunday at Exodus with communion, and so the band will come on up here, and what we do is we'll, we end up, we sing one song at the end here, and um, we take communion every week at Exodus, um, in a habitual way, but not a ritualistic way, because we believe in what we do, even what we were just doing there. There's, there's meaning and life in what we do, not just habit. So what we do is, we, as we start singing this last song, you're welcome to come on up, and somebody's going to offer you the bread, you tear off a piece, there'll be people each of the main aisles here, we'll offer you the cup, and we're just going to have you to dip it in for that, dip in the cup, and then most people eat it right away, some people take it back to their seat. This is what Jesus told us to do in remembrance of him. In remembering not just that he died and rose again for us, which he did, but in remembering that he came to open up a new and living way of us of, for power, for peace, for joy, because only with his life inside of us can we be those kind of people he said we can be. Only with his power and joy and life inside of us can we be See how God will use us and lead us to a place of deliverance and then lead us like he did with Paul and Silas for joy and freedom and deliverance for others through our own deliverance. All right, this is not about us. It's about others, but it's about what God wants to do in us for the sake of others. All right, so let me, uh, I'll pray and thank Jesus for this and then we'll uh, sing and take communion. Jesus, we're grateful for your body and the, uh, your blood that you shed and was broken, and we're grateful, Jesus, that you, uh, you pushed through, and were obedient, and you pushed through, and by the power of God, you were resurrected. So, God, we want to be people who have your life inside of us. Again, we don't fully know what that means, but we know it's real. We know the invisible realities of that are available to us this very day, that we can have more of the Spirit of Jesus inside us more and more and more and more, and we need it because we want to be those kind of people. So Jesus, thank you, um, and we ask this all in your name. Amen.
We're going to end this week like we have every month, every Sunday in the month of June. We're going to give a blessing to one another. So I want you to pair up a guy with a guy, a girl with a girl, woman with woman. All right, so pair up quick. Find somebody if you have to be in a three. All right, one of the blessings of Scripture that's repeated over and over again. May I make sure of the person's name? One of the blessings of Scripture repeated over and over again is may the peace of Christ be with you or may the grace of Christ be with you. But you know what grace is? Grace is the powerful activity of God. So I want you, in a second, I'm going to ask you to say this. May the powerful activity of Christ be with you. Because that's, what you're, that's the blessing you're praying. So the first person, uh, face the other person, put your arm on their shoulder, grab their hand or something, and I want you to repeat after me. May the powerful activity of Christ be with you. Switch people. Other person say it. Ready? May the powerful activity of Jesus be with you. Jesus, our prayer is your powerful activity will be active in all of our lives this week, doing what we know we cannot accomplish apart from your Holy Spirit. Uh, we ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. We stack the chairs up over there. Help us out.